So, like I said, we're, we're jumping into our study of God and the sciences, uh, an honest conversation about Christian faith and the scientific method. And so, uh, tonight we are just going to kind of lay out some of the reasons why this matters a lot. Um, I'll end up getting some of your questions too. And if you're not yet a part of the Summit Young Adults Facebook page, why don't you join that? Because sometimes I'll like put questions on there like, hey, if you have questions about so-and-so, or just personal message me if you have questions that kind of come up. So I know that there's, there are many, many questions around this. Um, we won't get to all of them tonight. That's why we're going to be a whole series worth. <laughs> but hopefully by the end of this, if I don't answer your question directly, I'll at least give you the tools to think well about it. And, I, and that's what we're going to start doing tonight is kind of gaining some tools to think well about this question. Um, my own story. Well, I grew up uh, as a, I grew up in a, a Christian home, and um, I grew up kind of in an in an era, not just an era. Yeah, no, that'd be true. Um, where it was it was pretty normal for it to be for 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 if you were a person of faith, that meant um, that the only way that you could read the opening chapters of Genesis was was in a um, that this is how, that's an important word for this conversation, how God formed everything. And, and um, that means that the earth is very young and that, it, and that the early chapters of Genesis were essentially taught, and it was pretty normal, I mean, I grew up in the 80s, and it was pretty normal that the sort of regular, in an evangelical church, you would be taught... Uh, this is what Genesis is about. It's almost like a science textbook. It tells you um, that the earth is young, and if you don't believe that, then you don't believe any of the Bible. That was kind of how it's presented to me. And so that's what I grew up with, and that was okay. I remember uh, being in grade 11 science class, and our uh, grade 11 science teacher, biology teacher, suggesting that the earth was quite old, in fact, and we were talking about some of these creatures and things that we were looking at, and it kind of just like, I, I kind of always got really frustrated and I struggled a lot with kind of what he was saying and I kind of went, that can't be and you're not telling us the whole story. And he said, you know, all we're doing in this class is, is the science part. We're just looking at kind of what's, what's generally accepted within scientific circles. And, and he said, I know there's other arguments and that um, religious communities believe different things about how old this is. My task as a science teacher was simply to, to, to talk about what is um, the way that uh, scientists understand as best as we can right now. So he kind of, you know, was very calm and, and very kind, um, but he, he made it clear that he was teaching science in the class, that this wasn't a philosophical discussion or a theological discussion. It was just a, just a science class. So I remember kind of feeling that way, but I, I grew up and I, I love the outdoors. In fact, I kind of was hoping to have a, a, a job, perhaps. I wasn't sure. Either I was thinking ministry or in, like, an outdoor job, a biology job. So, like, I loved nature. I spent almost my whole childhood outside. I lived on an acreage. And so I just really enjoyed being outdoors, and I had a, a passion for God's world and what he made. So I went on to university to study natural resource management, which is a Bachelor of Science degree at UNBC. And it was... Um, a little bit different than the natural resource science degree here at TRU, which is very technical focused. Like there's a lot of, there is some, 
you know, biology and that kind of thing, but there's a lot of uh, sort of technical things like how to measure trees and stuff. We did some of that. We did a lot of just like, just straight up kind of biology and ecology and forest, like forest biology, ornithology, mammalogy, animal disease and parasites. Those are a few of the kinds of courses I was doing. Um, animal behavior, that, that kind of stuff. And what I found interesting is when I got to university, I kind of, I didn't really know how I was going to sort of reconcile my faith in, in God and my belief in, in the Bible and how to read it, or as much as I understood, with, um, with the sort of biological sciences. But here's what I found really fascinating. Um, two of the main biology profs, there was more than two profs, but two of them, and one of them was actually, in the year I graduated, uh, Russ Dawson was uh, awarded the best lecturer at UNBC kind of award. Uh, so he was a fabulous lecturer, and he went to a sister church of ours here called College Heights Baptist in, in Prince George. So a solid evangelical church. And he was my evolutionary biology teacher. So I was kind of scratching my head. How does this, is he lying about what he's teaching or about his faith? Maybe he's not really a Christian. Then there's another guy, um, uh, Dr. Otter. I can't remember his first name right now, but a worship leader at my church, a Mennonite Brethren Church, you know, Bible-believing churches. And my biology profs who were teaching evolutionary biology were also leading in worship and, and involved. And so you can imagine that I had some big question marks going off in my head. Um, do these things work together? Aren't kind of like the findings that are regularly accepted by scientists and sort of what the Christian church says about faith, aren't they in essentially in conflict? That was much of what I grew up hearing and being, being taught. And so uh, I basically <clears throat> was holding these two things out in two completely separate categories. Here's my faith. And I'm going to believe God and his word. And I still do, by the way, <laughs> more so now than ever, I think. Uh, and here's, the sci- here's what I got to put down on my science papers. And I actually, as I'm working through my science degree, I'm going, boy, oh boy, if I just simply look at the evidence that's there and the consensus of scientists, boy, the, the earth sure seems like it's, 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 it's kind of old. And as my Christian, they were legitimately loving Jesus believer, evolutionary biology professors would teach about um, the processes of biological evolution. I kind of went as if we're just looking at the natural stuff, if you're just saying a science is looking at sort of natural cause, causes, um, the, the theory of sort of natural selection, it makes a whole lot of sense to me. So you could, uh, but here's the thing is, it was in finally my fourth year, I got up the nerve to ask my pastor, who I knew was uh, really loved Jesus, really taught the word of God straight forward. I said, how old, is, how old is the universe, Mel? I just went for coffee with him one day. I said, you know, I'm really struggling with this kind of question. Is, how old is the universe? Oh, 4.6 billion years. Nope, didn't blink it, didn't bat an eye at answering that question for me in that way. And I had never heard a, a pastor or somebody say that the earth was old before that moment. And so I kind of went, okay, wow maybe I need to rethink how I've read the Bible. How do, how, do I, how do I kind of reconcile how these wonderful people of faith um, are also those who believe that the earth might be very old? So I'm telling you my story. Your story might be very different. That's just simply my story. But here's the thing. Still in my fourth year of university, I would read the Bible and go, I always get to where I've always got to, where I've, when I read the Bible. 
And when I look at the science, I go, well, it sure makes a lot of sense that the earth is very old. So I still was holding those two things out going, both of these make sense to me, but they don't connect. They, they, they can't speak to each other. There's, there's this sense of, I have to pick one or the other. And so I almost had to just compartmentalize my mind. I had to be sort of like two persons around this question. Um, when I got to, um, to school, I did my master's degree basically in biblical studies. Uh, that was what I really wanted to study. I was passionate about God's word, about communicating God's word. And so once I started to study the Bible in its original context, um, once I started learning uh, a little bit of original language stuff, all of a sudden the how we read the Bible became much more interesting and much more complex than I had any idea before about. And so all of a sudden, what had been in my mind completely conflicting worlds were beginning to be able to speak to each other in ways I w- that really surprised me. Um, and so I, some of you in this room are going, yeah, we've heard you say this before, Dave, we know. Uh, some of you in this room are probably going, what? I can never believe. You were like me when you heard a pastor for the first time say the earth is you know, the earth is probably 4.6, or, uh, yeah, 4.6 billion years old, and the universe may be 13.7 billion years old, or something like that. So some of you, you might be like, okay, you're looking for the exit. Um, could this possibly be the case? I will, over the course of this uh, next few weeks, I just, I tell you that part of my story to say, um, I have learned and am learning that w- the, the, the biblical text, of course, we have to read it as it was intended to be read. And when we bring our 21st century scientific questions to the biblical text, rather than asking the questions that the original author had written to the original audience, uh, it's going to be, we're going to be asking the wrong questions of the text. So I'm just telling you right up front um, where kind of my journey has been. Um, What I will do is, of course, much of the kind of discussion about science and faith, like it was for me, it sort of revolves around the early chapters of Genesis. And what do we do with those? How do we read those? Um, are those really are those really harmonious with scientific findings, or are they really separate? So we're going to talk about some of those questions coming up. But I just thought I'd share with you part of my own um, learning to think through this, because I found out uh, as I began to read in, in study in, in theology and biblical studies that um, I I could barely find a biblical scholar who thought that the earth was young, uh, based on the Bible itself, not not on just on the biological sciences. Well, sorry, their conclusion was the Bible really doesn't have anything to say about how old the earth is. Uh, And so we can look at what the biological sciences say or what geography says or what uh, astrology says, and and the, the Bible doesn't limit us to thinking about those things. So they would say the Bible is specifically addressing some, some very specific topics that were the issue that the first audience, ancient Israelites, were wrestling with. They weren't wrestling with questions about how old the earth is. That wasn't what was on the agenda for them. So I just, I lay that out there and say, this is part of my story. Yours, my, my goal is not to convince you necessarily that I'm right and whatever you were taught before is rubbish. That, that's not entirely my goal. <laughs> it's, it's actually not, not my goal. What I do want to do is help you think well about these questions. Uh, at the end of these sessions, I hope what you've gained uh, is a sense that, um, yeah, that you can think well about the question of God and science, and you might not come to the same conclusions that I have, and that's okay. Um, but I hope to kind of present this in a way that will 
be accessible and we'll be able to jump in. So I just wanted to give you that story to say right up front, here are my, some of my conclusions are I don't think these two things are in conflict. Um, I think we can actually um, read the Bible well and when we do, we'll find out that it has very, very little to say about questions that we often want to bring to it, um, which, which leaves the door open for us to look at the sciences and take them seriously and not feel like, well, the Bible says we can't think this. Well, no, I think we'll find out that uh, with a, a, a healthy reading of the text, it doesn't limit us in our thinking about science. That's my kind of conclusion. I want to put that on the table and say, you don't have to come to that conclusion. But I'm going to sh- we, you will see throughout these times how I get there too, because I'm going to try to present many different ways that Christians think about these questions. Does that, is that okay? Are we? Or we're like, oh, I don't know, Dave. <laughs> I want to talk about why this matters so much for us to think well about science. Whatever the conclusions you come to, here's why it matters to think well. Um, actually, before we do, I'm just going to give you two quick... When I say science, you know what I'm talking about, okay? So, uh, first slide here. Science is the systematic study of nature through observation, hypotheses, which means, um, well, let's... Maybe it was this. That's what a hypothesis is. So it's a, maybe, maybe it's this. Maybe this is how it happens. Let's test it, do an experiment, and we'll see if that experiment leads us to be able to um, accept or reject a particular theory. It is built on philosophy, or uh, it philosophical claims, but it makes no philosophical claims, meaning this. Um, sciences are based on, and this is interesting, uh, essentially a Christian worldview that says the world will, will function the same tomorrow as it did today. And if it was irregular, if we couldn't trust that, that nature would function the same way tomorrow as it did today, then we couldn't really do sciences because you'd say, well, everything's unreliable. We, we, we couldn't rely on our results tomorrow that we could today. Does that make any sense? So there's, it's, it has a philosophical, it has to make some philosophical um, starting places, but it doesn't make philosophical claims. And that's what, that would be like this. It doesn't claim that there is a God or, or not a God. It's simply, it's simply asking and answering completely natural questions. When we talk about God, that's supernatural. Okay? It's, it's, it's apart from nature. One of the really important things in Christian theology is that there is a creator God who is separate from, and the word holy means other, different from. The creator God is different from the creation. The creator is different from creation. So, so when we're doing science, we're looking at the creation. Um, it's the realm of theology, really, that looks at who the creator is. So the natural sciences are only able to study what you can observe, make a hypothesis about, do an experiment on, and test a theory about. So all of a sudden, uh, for some... People, they think science is this huge, huge thing that kind of tries to answer all the questions. And that's the second thing on that sheet there. Scientism says science is the only reliable source of knowledge. Truth can only be found in science. Scientism is not science. Scientism is a religion. It's a philosophical viewpoint. Uh, And often, um, people confuse these two things. Science is a very narrow field of looking at the natural world 
and asking only questions that can be answered in the natural. So if there's a miracle, science can never say, well, we proved that there was a miracle or it wasn't a miracle. Science can't speak about that because a miracle is supernatural. Science can say nothing about miracles. Nothing. Because it's outside the realm of what science does. Science only measures what we can say is in the natural realm. Scientism tries to, um, and, and this is where many, many people get confused when we talk about this stuff, and even some scientists make this mistake. They say the only way we can really know something is if we can prove it, if we can test it, if we can measure it. That's the only true source of knowledge. Uh, that's not true. <laughs> and we'll, we'll look more at, at, that, at that claim and, and why it can't be the case uh, as we move on a little bit more on that. Is that helpful? So science doesn't cover everything. Science covers a very small field of inquiry, and it's working completely on the natural realm. As soon as you introduce the supernatural, it's no, you can't call that science anymore. Okay? It's, it's something else. It's theology. It's philosophy. It's metaphysics. But it's not science. So I hope that helps. So when I say science, that's what I mean. I mean only stuff that you're able to measure, test it, repeat it, experiment on it, only that. Okay, um, why it matters. Here's why it matters. I'm going to rattle off four areas of this matters because. Number one, um, <clears throat> Jesus was asked by a religious leader, what is the most important command? And if you remember, he recites what's called the Shema in, in Deuteronomy uh, 6.5. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, it matters to have this conversation because if we fail to think well about God and God's world, we're not loving God with our whole being at least. Jesus said the most important commandment includes loving God with our minds. So Christianity, some people think is, okay, you've got to suspend what you see in the world and you've got to suspend all your reason and just just have faith. Uh-uh, that's not Christianity. Christianity says, look at the evidence, weigh the evidence, make good decisions, use your brain. If you don't use your brain, you're not loving God. Number one, you can't love God and not use your brain. Um, I like it in, in, in uh, uh, that hymn we just sang, Take My Life and Let It Be, there was this line, take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. God, use my mind, use the intellect that you gave me to think well about you and this world. Okay. I'm, I'm trying to skip stuff is what I'm trying to do here. <laughs> I've heard um, theologians, uh, um, Noel, what is his first name? Mark Noel? Maybe. Doesn't matter. Uh, claim... Um, if, if we say, if we fail to love God fully by engaging our minds in thinking well about the world around us, it's a sin of omission. We've omitted to do the thing that God has called us to. So we actually have to repent of. If we haven't thought well about God's world, and you're a Christian person, um, you need to go to God and confess that as sin and ask for forgiveness for it. So if you haven't been thinking really well as a Christian, it's a sin that has to be confessed, repented of, and so that we can come before God and say, I'm really sorry, I haven't thought clearly and, and, um, 
and, and, and rigorously about your world. Um, that may be you tonight. That may be something that you need to repent of because you haven't loved God fully with your mind. Um, second thing, Jesus says the second command, he says, is like the first. Right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, one of the ways that we love our neighbor is by caring for others thoughtfully. And that would include things like the practice of medicine. Uh, we, uh, we practice medicine. We study the human body in the medical sciences in order that we can love and care for people better. Um, I also think uh, we care through for our neighbor, like in, in the degree I did in natural resource management, through environmental studies that we learn how the world works and we learn how to best, because we are, as humans, we depend on the natural world working well, on not polluting it, on keeping uh, our, our food sources intact, on making sure that there's enough water so that we can grow vegetables, that, that we don't just abuse the land, but that we ensure that it and the, and the other animals um, that God has given us care over are taken care of. So, Loving our neighbor includes things like medicine, things like environmental studies. Um, those are absolutely necessary. And I, I realized um, there's an example in our, our city that's before us right now. I have been going to get myself educated about um, uh, KGHM's, uh, the proposal of the Ajax mine. That's something. That, so when they had their um, open house, I went and I, and I listened and I asked questions and I dug around. Why? Neighbor love. Because I love the city of Kamloops. I love the people who live here. I want to find out, uh, is, is the company who's proposing to put an open pit mine um, nearby to our city, is it a good idea? Uh, is the science that they did uh, really valid? Is it, uh, are the claims that they're making about its um, environmental impact, are we able to trust those claims or not? So, so I spent hours asking questions, reading their literature. Um, SLR, a, 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 a separate company, was asked to read through, because it's like a 19,000-page document, that you and I just don't have time to read through that, or the technical ability to be able to, to ask the right questions. So, um, so the city of Kamloops hired uh, an, an outside consulting firm, SLR, to come in and look at the science of the environmental impact assessment that um, KGHM had put forward. And, and so that's a, a really good process. But as a concerned citizen, as someone who cares about my neighbors, I, I made sure to be at that meeting, four hours of listening to information about, uh, is this proposal robust? Is the science valid? Can we have confidence in the things that the proponent is, is sort of proposing through their environmental impact assessment? Why think well about it, neighbor love? Because if I don't think well about it, if I don't engage in that process and, and, and ask the right kinds of questions, I will be failing to love my neighbor if, if we as citizens. And so one of the reasons why it's important to think well about science is actually to be a good citizen. It's to love your neighbor. It's to be able to assess these things and be able to contribute to the process in a really fair and good way. So this mind might be a great thing for our city, it might not, though. And as citizens, we're going to have to be a part of that process and knowing how to think through the, the, the science end of it or at least have a little bit of uh, knowledge about science is going to help us to know, okay, it, is, is this valid? 
Do we need to be concerned? Those kinds of questions. That makes sense? Right? Good. Thumbs up somewhat. Uh, a third reason. This is re- related to the issue both of loving God and loving our neighbor. And it's this. It's the issue of mission. The Bible speaks of God as the loving creator of all that exists. It speaks of how God created humanity in his own image, made for a special relationship with him, and made for a relationship with each other, our own selves, and the rest of the created world. But we find out in the opening chapters of Genesis that humanity rebelled against God. And that severed the relationship that we can have with our creator. Um, in, in chapter 2 of Genesis, God tells Adam that on the day that he eats from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he would surely die. Of course, Adam doesn't die physically. He lives to be 930 years old, the text tells us. So Adam doesn't die, but you know, God said, surely you will die this day. What's going on there? We do find out that as soon as he eats of that, he knows he's naked and he feels ashamed. God goes walking in the garden, and he and Eve are hiding from him. Their relationship with God has been broken as a result of their sin. The rest of the storyline of the Bible is God's pursuit of humanity, to the point that God himself, the creator, would actually become a part of creation, and that the creator would let his life be pulled apart on a Roman cross to buy us, the human rebels back for himself. That's the story that the Bible tells. And um, those who come to trust in what Jesus has done are made spiritually alive again. We were spiritually dead like Adam. But because of Jesus and what he did through his death on the cross for us and his resurrection, we can be made spiritually alive. And guess what we're tasked to do now? As a Christian, I am now sent on mission to take this good news to the rest of the world, to let people know there is hope, there is new life through Jesus. And we do that both through our actions of love and generosity that beg the questions then, what is, what is the hope that you have? What do you? And then we answer them. And how do we answer? Um, it says in First Peter chapter 3 that we're, we need to always be prepared to give an answer for those who ask about the hope that we have in Christ. Now, far too many people, I think, whom the church has been called to reach with this good news of Jesus have been led to believe, sometimes even by Christians, sometimes by people who aren't Christians, but they've been led to believe that you either have to choose between the findings of modern science or faith in God. It's either reason or the Bible. Those are your two options. If you want to be saved, chuck out the reason, just trust this. And so people are faced with this dilemma. What do I do? I find the story of Christianity compelling. I think what I need is a savior. But I've been told if I don't believe the earth is 6,000 years old, I can't can't actually become a Christian. Some people have been told that. Um, Here's what St. Augustine, 4th century Christian writer, pastor, says. This is important. Usually... Even a non-Christian knows something about the earth and the heavens. I lost my place. Here we go. 
And this knowledge he holds to as being certain from reason and experience. Now, it's a disgraceful and dangerous thing for someone who's not a believer in Jesus. He used the word infidels there. I thought that might have the wrong kind of ring for you guys. (laughs) It's a dangerous thing for the infidels to hear a Christian, presumably giving the meaning of the Holy Scriptures, talking nonsense on these topics. And we should take all means to prevent such an embarrassing situation in which people show up vast ignorance in a Christian and laugh it to scorn. If they find a Christian mistaken in a field which they themselves know well and hear him maintaining his foolish opinions about our books, how are they going to believe those books in matters concerning the resurrection of the dead, the hope of eternal life, and the kingdom of heaven, when they think their pages are full of falsehood and on facts which they themselves have learnt from experience? and in light of reason. So this isn't kind of a new thing to say we have to think well about science. We have to think well about the natural world. St. Augustine said, um, Christians sometimes think they're talking well about the Bible and they're, they're, they're they're speaking out of complete ignorance. If you don't know something about the topic, just keep your mouth shut, Augustine says, because you're going to lead people to say, um, I can't trust this book. It's totally out of accord with what we know is true through our reason, our experience. That's the fourth century. So does that kind of sound like it could have been written yesterday? I think so. Um, That's why I bring it up. So what's Augustine's point? His point is that how will people believe the central message of the Christian gospel? As he mentions here, what is it? The resurrection of the dead, life eternal, and the coming kingdom of God. If Christians speak in ignorance about the natural world, people won't be able to take seriously what we say when we begin to speak of them to them about the things of the spiritual realm as well that the Bible declares on. Uh, One of my roles, I believe, as a pastor is to help equip the Christian community um, not to speak ignorantly about issues such as the natural sciences but uh, and, and thus misrepresent both the Bible and the Christian faith as a result. Augustine believed that Christians must speak truthfully about the Bible and about the natural world and if they can't, they, will, they may end up leading people to believe that the Bible itself is just not trustworthy. We just can't trust this book. So how we think and speak about the natural world in relation to the Bible matters deeply as God's people on mission. We need to be able to be truthful and honest about these things. And that leads to my last, it's certainly not, the, it's not an exhaustive list, but here's the last thing I want to say about why this matters to think well about um, science as well as our faith is that for a Christian the truth matters. If if we find out that the natural world is actually very old, if all of the evidence leads to that direction, then as a Christian person uh, I believe that all truth is God's truth. That won't surprise God. That means probably that I've read the Bible wrong. If I if because I actually don't think that the Bible and and what we will find in the natural world are actually in conflict. I think they will Um, I think if there's places where they are conflicting, it's because we're misinterpreting something or we just don't have all the data yet. Say, okay, maybe these things seem in conflict. Maybe the data's not all in. We might find out down the road, in fact, that, uh, you know, we've we've just not understood one of these elements. Um, Because both the natural world, we might say is God's... uh, the book of nature. God reveals himself through nature. We'll talk more about that next week. And the the book of scripture, God's two books, nature and scripture, um, both tell the truth about God. Both of them need to be interpreted. Uh, There's no such thing as an 
an uninter... Every act of knowing requires our brain to engage in it. You can't look at something and not be interpreting it. So we may be misunderstanding the Bible. We may be misunderstanding the data of the natural world. But where there's a conflict, I don't think there ultimately is. Because God is truth. That's what I believe as a Christian. That's kind of a foundational thing. God isn't surprised when things that are truthful become known. They might be surprises to us because we just haven't seen it yet. We haven't understood things yet because we don't see fully yet. Um, Does that make sense? So as a Christian, the truth matters. So if something is true, it's not a surprise to God. It might be a surprise to us, but God's not surprised. Uh, and, And Christians are truth people. We're people who are seeking the truth. Okay, um, let's wrap up here. Ooh, oh man, the time just flies, doesn't it? I have to say these next few things. I have to. I have to say them. Okay, because we've got this far, and if I left you here, you might be like, what do we do now? What next? Okay. Here we go. Um, This is going to be an oversimplification, but I think it's going to be helpful in the long run. Um, epistemology is a really long word that basically means how do we know what we know? Like, you say, well, this is what happened. How do you know that? That question, how do you know that? That's the question of epistemology. In, in philosophy, that's what it's kind of the, the, the word for it. So if you want to sound fancy, use that word. Don't use that word. Um, but uh, there is, I'm going to present, and on your handout, you'll see sort of basically three epistemologies different ways of how, how do we know what we know. A fundamentalist epistemology, fundamentalist, um, and I'm, I'm using that word, I know, I know there's actually good meanings for the word fundamentalist, I'm using it in kind of a negative sense, so just, I know that's not a very well nuanced, but um, let me start with atheist fundamentalists. Uh, uh, Richard Dawkins, some of you have heard of him before, is, uh, wrote a book, The God Delusion. He's written some others too, um, but in The God Delusion, he makes some interesting claims. Uh, He basically claims that religion is a form of child abuse, and it's the root of of most of the evil in the world. Um, His approach to religion is that it's it's simply a fairy tale, and that it's just so obvious if you look at the natural world that there is no God, that you'd have to be just an absolute idiot to actually believe there could be a God. So it's kind of a very black and white, it's, it's all this, none of that kind of thinking. It's all or nothing, black and white kind of thinking. I'm super oversimplifying this. But an atheist fundamentalist will say science trumps faith. Faith is just kind of in the realm of what's going on in your head. Science is the realm of the real world, okay? Um, but there's a Christian fundamentalism too. And it would say basically the Bible trumps science, it just trumps it. Like there's, if, if you just, po- and, and when I say the Bible trumps science, what I mean is this, is that it's just simply, you just point at the words on the page. There's no need to, to research original languages or think about the context. You just point at the page and say, thus saith the Lord. And that ends any discussion. Well, what about the science that says this, this, this? It can't be true because the Bible says this, obviously. But I would say that this obviously actually probably is wrong. <laughs> But that's, that's basically how it gets. It's just black and white. It's either one or the other. I'm super oversimplifying that, but that is one pattern of thinking that we see in our world. Um, I'm going to introduce now what I would call um, 
actually, let's just jump to the, the, the last version, would be called post, so um, fundamentalist, then postmodernism. Um, actually, the word postmodernism kind of came to its peak in about the year 2005. Most philosophers now don't use it anymore. They would say this idea that there is no objective truth, it's all just kind of relative. Uh, you can almost not find any scientist who buys into that. Okay, there was a time when people are kind of like, we, we actually gained a lot from the postmodern movement, but most philosophers would say we're in the late modern stage now. We're, we're not actually in a, in a postmodern stage. I'm going to use that language anyways because it is in the popular thinking. It's still there very much. In the, in the academic world, most people have moved on and said, no, we're in a post-postmodern world. <laughs> we don't really think that anymore. In the late modern world still, we really do believe there is such a thing as truth. But a postmodern epistemology basically says, well, there is no objective truth to be known. Truth is completely, um, it's subjective. It's, it's only the, the, in the realm of the knower. That makes no sense. Whatever. Okay. Uh, let's not waste a lot of time there. But it's, it's important to just know that that kind of this thinking that you can't know anything is, is there. I'm totally not on my notes anymore. That's all right. Okay. Right. Um, on your sheet, I quote um, a biblical scholar named D.A. Carson who says, and this is an important part though, um, we are all perspectivists, meaning we see things from our own perspective. Even if perspectivists can't be divided into those who admit it, even if they can be divided into those who admit they're perspectivists and those who don't. So, um, the reason why I raise this is that there is no, there's no place that you can stand where you're not saying, from my perspective, here's how I see it. Now, that's not to say that there isn't objective truth that we're looking at. It just means that as a knower, as the, as the subjective knower, um, I have a lens in front of me through which I'm looking. There's no way I can be glasses free. There's no way I can remove my education my background, how I was raised, the fact that I'm white and male and live in Canada in the 21st century. I can't remove that lens. I can't look at something apart from that. That is my lens. I, I mean, I can, I can try to, but I will always be putting on a lens. We're all perspectivists. So that sort of borrows from what the postmodern movement gave us, but then it still says, but what postmodernism says, there is actually no truth. And as a biblical scholar, D.A. Carson is saying, oh, there is truth, but we're going to be seeing it through a grid anyways. Does that make any sense? I know this is kind of heady philosophical stuff, but it's kind of important, right? Okay, evangelical thinking. Uh, Summit Drive is a, an, what would be called an evangelical church. That means we believe in the good news of Jesus and we think everyone should know it. We think it's the best news in the world. Why wouldn't anybody? We're just going to share it, okay? That's part of what it means to be evangelical. There's more to it, but here's what, it, as an evangelical, I would say, um, and this is based in the Bible, there is truth. Only God knows all of it. But it's there. I, as a fallen and finite human being, cannot know all of the truth. It's impossible for me to know everything that's true. Because my, uh, when, as a result of the fall, my brain and my ability to know everything has been reduced. I can't, I'm not God, so I, I'm not all-knowing. And even my ability to perceive things is 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 um, I'm looking through a glass that, it, that still has the sinful nature as a part of it. I can't see everything perfectly. Okay, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, now we see as though looking in a mirror dimly. 
we can't see perfectly. He said, then, as in when Jesus returns, in the kingdom of God, we will see things as they are. But for now, we're looking through a dim mirror. And we just have to be okay with that. So as a Christian person, I say, God knows all the truth. There is really truth, but I can't know it all. So that means I have to be humble about how much I know, what I know, how I know it. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. We can't know everything, but we are able, by God's spirit and his work in us, he illuminates us to be able to understand the good news of Jesus in his gospel. And he illuminates us. He gives us enough. We know enough that we can love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. God enables us to do that in his mercy. Isn't that good news? I think it is. Um, what is the next slide? I have no idea what we're doing after that. Video. Yeah, there's a video. We're going to watch a video. And for those who can, and I, I hope you will, um, I'm going to invite you to, oh, no, I totally missed the, the rest of the, no, I don't have slides for it. But, okay, there's one more chunk. I'm sorry. I'm really sick. Did you know that? <laughs> Did I mention that? <laughs> I'm really sick. And that affects my brain. Um, on your sheet, you can look at the pictures. I should have brought a, a, th a thing board up here. But let me say it like this. So if, if in a, a fundamentalist epistemology says, there is truth, I can know it all, and a postmodern epistemology says, there is no truth, you just, you just got to make it up. It's just your own subjective experience. An evangelical epistemology says this, there is truth, only God knows all of it, but we can know everything we need to know to love God and love others. Okay, good. Here's what an evangelical epistemology would say. You'll see on your sheet, there's like three concentric circles. Okay, in the center one says core. These are the things that to be a Christian, you have to say these things. One of those things is that God is the creator. If you don't think God is the creator, that kind of puts you outside of what Christianity teaches. All Christians believe that God is the creator. If you don't believe that, you can't be a Christian. There are edges. It's called orthodoxy. It means kind of the edges of what it means to be a Christian. Have you heard of the Apostles' Creed, anybody? Not Apollo Creed. Okay, that's rocky. Put your hand down if you thought I said Apollo Creed. Now, Apostles' Creed is, I think I'm so funny. I just made that up on the spot. I'm not. Um, the Apostles' Creed says, we believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And then it goes on to list basically the things that all Christians affirm. The deity of Jesus, that he died, that he rose bodily, that he ascended to the Father. And then it says things like, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, meaning all the, the, the church universal, um, it, the communion of the saints, um, the forgiveness of sins, and life everlasting. These are things that Christians believe. These fit in the core box, okay? Now, next box is the secondary issues predestination or free will or some mysterious thing in between where I would probably agree to. Okay? Secondary issue. It's not in the core box. It doesn't say if you're not a Calvinist, you can't be a Christian. Doesn't, that's, that's not the core. That's not core to Christianity. So secondary issues are the doctrinal kind of level. These are the things that usually, why are there different denominations? Because we believe different things on these issues. Predestination or free will. Um, how old is the earth? Secondary. Maybe even tertiary, that one. But th that's one of those questions that's going to say, 
Or, or do we worship on Saturday or Sunday? Seventh-day Adventists would say we worship on Saturday. Uh, Baptists would say we worship on Sunday. Okay, that's just, actually, there are Seventh-day Baptists too. Did you know that? Interesting. Um, is that a core issue? You must worship on Sunday or you must worship on Saturday. No, it's not. It's a, it's a secondary issue. It's, it, maybe it's an issue that matters, but it's not an issue that's going to divide that between someone being a Christian and not a Christian. Okay? Um, fundamentalists say that there, there is no core secondary tertiary. Fundamentalists say they just have one big core. If you don't agree with all of the things that we agree with, how old the earth is, the role of women in ministry, um, issues of predestination or free will, if you don't agree with us, then you're actually outside Christianity. Okay, that's a fundamentalist epistemology. Uh, that is not how evangelicals believe. We believe that there are core issues, and there are tertiary, or secondary and tertiary, and so on sort of issues, which we can disagree on, but it doesn't. Um, but we, we are still both brother and sister in Christ, and we recognize that. Does that make sense? That's pretty important to kind of just have that picture in your mind. Um, last, I'm going to say one more thing really quickly, and then we're going to watch a video, and then some of you are going to have to leave, and that's fine, and some of you are going to want to stay and have a conversation, and that's really good too. Um, you'll see a box if you look at that sheet. It's a square, and this is called um, the Protestant quadrilateral. Big words. You don't have to worry about the name of it, but here's what you do need to know. Scripture is at the bottom, and that, that signifies that it's foundational for, or it's, it's sort of the, the, the thing that we al is always norming how we think. So scripture matters in Christian thinking. And, but it's not the only thing that matters. You'll see the word tradition there too. What has the church taught throughout the ages? How have Christians believed? What did, well, we read some Augustine tonight, didn't we? Um, there's some others that we quoted too. I just didn't tell you that. Uh, so uh, we read some Augustine tonight. That's tradition. That's, that falls into that category. He, he's not writing scripture, but what he says is pretty important for us to think about at least. Then you have reason. This is our experience of look at the natural world. Work it out. What did God make? How did he make it? What do we see when we do science? That's the realm of reason. Then you have experience. This is, these are the things we experience um, in, in, our, in, our, in our lives, um, when we, I don't, I don't, I don't have a good example because I'm, I'm sick. That's why. I'll blame it on that. Um, all of those things matter in Christian thinking. To say sola scriptura, which is sort of what the reformers said, is not to, it doesn't actually equal scripture only. That, that would be, that's a different thing. It means that scripture is our norming. It's the thing that we always come back to and say, okay, we've looked at tradition. What did Augustine say? Great. We've looked at reason. How, you know, what do most scientists say about how the earth is? Okay. We've looked at experience. Wow, you know, I, um, I don't know if this really factors into the origins debate or something, but I've really, my own experience, I've thought through this and whatever. But then we always come back to, and what do the scriptures teach? Because that is going to be our norm, our norming sort of thing. We always come back to what the scriptures teach. But here's the thing. That's sort of, so that's how, how Christians think. It's not just scripture. It's actually tradition, reason, experience. And here's what um, my epistemology professor, a theologian at Regent College, was he added something to this. He put an I right in the middle of that box. And he says, you know what? These things, we don't come to them just like as though we're a blank slate. We're, we're interpreting 
And these actually speak to each other. So he calls it a tetralactic, another big fancy word. And it simply means it's a four-way dialogue. Scripture is actually in conversation with reason and tradition and experience. And it's not that these things are isolated or on their own, but there's actually um, interpretation that's happening. And these things speak to each other. Um, you're, as we watch a video here, we're going to see Pope John Paul II, and he says that um, reason purifies religion. It will actually help us, uh, for example, like, I mean, the Copernican Revolution, Galileo, you may have heard of him, sort of said, well, actually, it looks like the, um, the sun isn't actually going around us. We're going around the sun, guys. And um, there's a lot to that story. I don't, I don't want to get into all the details. But essentially, the church said, well, no, in the Bible, it says that the, you know, the sun rises at one end of the earth and it sets at the other. It can't be because science trumps, or faith trumps science. So it just, it can't be that. He said, well, no, actually, I've been looking a lot and doing a lot of research. And, and it actually is that we're going around the sun. He said, well, no, I, I, you, you happen to be wrong because we know what the scriptures teach. Um, and, and so on and so forth. And what happens, of course, is we know that the earth goes around the sun. Um, and so what Pope John Paul II is saying in that is that when we realize something about the natural world that's true, it sends us back to the scriptures and say, maybe the fact that it says that the sun rises on one of the earth and sets on the other isn't a description of science, quote unquote. It's not meant to be that. It probably means something theologically. Oh yeah, actually the Hebrew writer who wrote that wouldn't have any interest in the cosmology in that sense. What he's trying to say is da 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 da, da, da theologically. Does that make sense? So our science can actually purify how we read the scriptures. And he says this, and religion can purify science of its idolatry, of thinking that it can answer all the questions apart from. So, um, so there's important things like that, that these actually speak to each other. Um, that probably raises a lot of questions for you, but we're going to end there. Right on. Okay. That, I hope that whets your appetite for some more thinking, some more good discussion, to send me some of your questions. Um, we're going to watch a video, uh, and then you can either be dismissed or you can hang out and chat. And I hope you'll hang out and chat for a few minutes if you can. So roll the video there. Yeah, I don't think science and religion mix. They're like oil and water. Modern science seems more intent nowadays to uh, disprove God's existence. As a scientist, my... Faith is something I believe, but my science is something I can measure. Science um, deals with things that you can prove, and faith deals with what you believe. Well, you have two different worlds. You have the science, which is fact-driven, and you have the Bible, which is faith-driven. Well, I don't know why you'd want to bring the two worlds together. I don't understand why in the community those are so separated. Uh, I mean, from what I've seen, it seems like theologians don't get along with scientists. Uh, we can bring people uh, into the faith and let them wrestle with the, the ideas of evolution and creation from the inside, rather than seeing it as a hurdle that they have to jump in order to, to become part of the faith. I heard a lot of speakers and pastors and although there are those who take a positive stance, a lot of them actually take a negative stance towards science. I can't recall my pastor ever talking about science, at least not during a service. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that there's a need for it.
There is a popular narrative embedded in our culture, passed down from generation to generation. A story that is still told today to both young and old alike. It's the story of science and faith in conflict. A battle royal between fact and faith, between reason and revelation. A conflict of perpetual enmity and strife. But is the story true? Has it always been told this way? I had the intention of becoming a theologian, but now I see how God is also glorified in astronomy, for the heavens declare the glory of God. It is the perfection of God's works that they are all done with the greatest simplicity. He is the God of order and not of confusion. The more I study nature, the more I stand amazed at the work of the Creator. Men became scientific because they expected law in nature, and they expected law in nature because they believed in a legislator. Science can purify religion from error and superstition. Religion can purify science from idolatry and false absolutes. Because the world is God's creation, it is worthy of study. God is not a god of the edges with a vested interest in beginnings. God is the god of the whole show. So the narrative of science and faith in conflict is a myth, a superstitious fairy tale. There's more to science than meets the eye, or any other empirical sense. And there's more to faith than systematic theology or religious experience. The scientist, the theologian, the pastor and the layman are all a part of God's universe. We dialogue, we fellowship, we worship together. <laughs>